I'm Jemai Webster. On this episode of the Ness and My Story podcast, Matt Barnes talks about growing up in New England and his friendship with Astro star and fellow Yukon Husky, George Springer. My dad's got a saying that the harder you work, the luckier you are. That draft was phenomenal. But truthfully, I wasn't even paying attention to the draft. I mean, we had a ball game to win. So I had to not only learn how to get the best players in the planet out, but I had to learn how to become a reliever. He struck him out. He's a really, really good friend of mine. Well, this time, Barnes wins the battle. It provides for some fun, friendly competition. Baseball is absolutely a huge portion of my life, but it's not everything. You have this idea of what it's like to win a World Series. It surpasses every expectation you ever had. Well, you always know what you're going to get from Barnes. He's got 95 plus. When I'm done playing, you can go look up my numbers. The number one thing that anybody ever asked was, was he a good teammate? How is he as a guy? Is he a good guy? And that's really all that anybody ever cares about. Matt Barnes learned the value of character growing up in Bethel, Connecticut. What was it like growing up in that area of Connecticut, and, you know, your household? It was awesome. I mean, I, my parents are very supportive. They traveled all the time to see, to see me play baseball. They put me in positions to, to play for some great coaches and, and on great teams. Um, and uh, it's, it's a great community. It's, it's a smaller community, you know, in, in Bethel. Nobody really ever knows where Bethel is. Um, so we always just say we're from Danbury. But, uh, but it's a small community. Everybody kind of knows, for the most part, everybody. Uh, and, it's, and it's awesome. It really is. Who was the most influential figure for you in your sports career and your pursuits? My dad. No question. He coached me from... When I first started playing up until high school, uh, we would be outside playing catch. He used to be my catcher until I was like 16, and then he shut that down. <laughs> he said, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> um, like I said, he, he coached me. He taught me how to play the game the right way, uh, how to respect the game and, and to really appreciate it. And you had other figures in your family as well. Your uncle, he was instrumental too. How much of a role did he play? My uncle still, he still coaches coaches baseball to this day uh, and loves it. I mean, he, he was an athlete growing up and uh, he, was, he was the one, for worse now, that made me a Yankee fan. And my dad still didn't like it. My dad was a Mets fan growing up. We're still very close to, with the whole family, but they, I mean, they traveled to Fenway now to watch me pitch. And so our, our whole family is, is very close knit. But what kind of values did they instill in you? What, what kind of person did they raise you to be? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I was very fortunate. Um, my dad's got a saying that, that I kind of grew up on, and it's, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you are. Um, and I think that really kind of captures the essence of, of how I was raised. I mean, both of my parents, um, they're great people. I mean, they, they, they raised me to, to be respectful and, and hardworking, um, kind of even-keeled, passionate, uh, loving person, and um, very blessed to have them as my parents. Barnes attended Bethel High School, where he realized his baseball potential. When did that love for the game that you had turn into a passion to pursue it as a career? Um, I'd always wanted to play baseball. 
for my entire life, ever since I was, you know, five, six, seven years old. But I think it really probably turned into something when I was in high school. Um, my junior year was a year that I got an opportunity to, to be a starting pitcher and kind of took advantage of that. And then going into senior year and then, you know, you start getting recruited and, and all that stuff. I mean, that was kind of when I was like, okay, maybe I really can do this. And there's a difference between really wanting to do it and being fortunate enough to have the ability to actually maybe really pursue it. So probably, probably later in high school. 17-year-old Matt Barnes. What was that guy like? <laughs> Uh, he, I mean, he had fun. He had fun. High school was awesome. I mean, it really was. You know, I, I got to play basketball, which unfortunately we can't play anymore. Um, but but we, I, had, I had a really close group of friends in high school that you know a lot of them I, I still stay in touch with and, and still talk to and hang out. Um, it was uh, it was a good time. It really was. Were you were you a good student? I was. Yeah, I graduated high school with a three six five. Oh yeah, my, my, my mother was, <laughs> you better have good grades. Like, okay, mom. But I, I, was, I was a pretty good student. Now you say you didn't remember this quote, but I'm sure at the time when you <laughs> thought about it, I mean, it, it, it's a great life quote, you know, keep away from the people who try to belittle your ambitions. Uh, small people always do that, but the really great make you feel that you too can become great from Mark Twain. So where did you gain this wisdom? Because it seems like this high school quote that you thought about a long time ago is very much a representation of who you are now. I mean, it, it definitely fits. Honestly, I probably went online, I don't even know if Google was around then, and I was like, best high school quotes. That's probably how I got there, or motivational quotes. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but I think, I, I think it still holds true. I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's very characteristic, in, especially in, a, in the lifestyle that we kind of lead. Um, people are always going to try and say, oh, you stink, or you're not good enough, or I just had to work to become the best or to become a better player. Um, and it makes you appreciate the road along the way. I, I've had coaches, you know, cut me from baseball teams, tell me I wasn't good enough to make a team. And, you know, those, those are the things that, that drive you and that motivate you. You know, if, if you want to do something bad enough, you can, you can make it happen. You can work hard enough to, to get there. No question. So those situations never deterred you. What did they do for you? It drives you. Never deter me. It drives you. Say, okay, that's your opinion. Now I'm going to prove you wrong. And then it, it forces you to, to work harder, to push harder, to, you know, and then when you actually get there and you get to reach what you've been working for, it makes it that much more satisfying. Coming out of high school, Barnes decided to stay close to home teaming up with fellow Connecticut native George Springer at UConn. I wasn't recruited by a ton of major schools. I know you're talking your LSUs, your Virginias, kind of things like that. Um, I got recruited by pretty much every school within the Northeast. And to me, it came down to two schools. It was either St. John's or UConn. Now, at the time, St. John's had a better baseball program. But I knew that UConn had some guys. I played with Springer in high school ball and, and summer ball. I knew he was going to UConn and him and I were close. But to me, the ultimate decision came down to this. And I, and I try to look at life objectively in the sense that, you know, baseball is absolutely a huge portion of my life, but it's not everything. It, it's still at the end of the game, or at the end of the day, it's just a game. It doesn't define who you are, it's what I do, if that makes sense. And, and I, 
had that when picking a college because the ultimate decision for me was if I wasn't going to play baseball, what college would I want to be at? And it was UConn. In 2016, Springer, now an outfielder for the Houston Astros, visited Fenway Park, and Nesson caught up with the teammates, turned rivals. I play out there. He does. Playing, he sits out there playing, until, um, playing in until he, he sees this. Playing, then you come in and I throw stretch, like one to six hitters, and you're done for the day. Six hitters is a lot of a bullpen. That's that, my, my point exactly. A good game for him is like 60 innings. I wow. do that in a week. I was not well, okay. at the most. Yeah, okay. How many? Of those my body's you just, tired. Yeah, you just stand out there for half of them yeah. and sing I "Sweet Caroline." Apparently, we lived in Bethel together for like four or five years. We were really, really young, but never knew each other, which is ironic. So then we go and we end up playing at Team Connecticut together. Probably our junior year of high school. Junior summer, TCB. Yeah, that was probably about it. I mean, he was still like eight feet tall, but not the same guy, and now he's, he's done all right for himself. It really took off when we went to college. We lived together on the road. We played in every team together from the moment we went to UConn to every summer ball team. One of the best summers, I, I would say, you know, just, just to, to have a chance to play on the Cape one and, and then just to, just to have a chance to actually be on the Cape as, as a, a kid and, and not, you know, not have to be concerned about right. anything. You know, I mean, he got a chance to go to the beach almost every day and kind of... Well, it helped that our host family had a private beach in their backyard. Right, that was also the big part <laughs> of it was we got to walk out of our house 50. onto the beach. We were around each other every single day for, you know, 10 or 11 months traveling and, and doing all this stuff. Um, so he's, I mean, he's, he's a really, really good friend of mine. Have you ever seen him move off the mouth? I'm gonna, he looks like the... Um, the blow-up things at the car dealerships that are like this. Yeah. So I'm going to okay. bunt on him, and I'm going to make him throw it to first base. But the problem is, is I can throw it to he first throws base way too hard to try to bunt it. So it's, it's I'm just trying to get in his head. Uh, but it, it, it provides for some, for some fun-friendly competition right now, uh, given that we've, we've played each other in some pretty high-leverage situations over the last couple of years. At the time of the interview, Barnes and Springer had only faced each other in one at bat. Hanley decides to run down the line and go over his shoulder no. into the stands no. for an it out. Was, he wasn't in the stands. He, he was, was in the, the He was 14 no, rows in the, the No, he was on no. the edge of the fence. No. He was on the edge of the fence no. and he made a good catch. No. He made a really good catch. He made a good catch as I remember it. He leaned over, jumped over the, the thing, was in the stands, caught it, came back and played. Hanley made the best play he's ever made at first base. He was, was not hitting. in the stands. His feet were planted firmly on the field. We can go to the video. No. We have was, the video. We, can, no, we, have, we have the video. He was in the stands. No, he was in the stands. Embellish the story. That's okay. No, yeah. I put my head down, so I was trying not to laugh. I can't, I can't tell him how I'm going to attack him. I might get him tonight. I know what he's trying to do. He knows what I'm trying to do. At that point, it's about who's, who's going to get who. But, but what he's not telling you is he always says he's going to strike me out, which I always say... It's an, you're not, not going to be the f first one, and you're definitely not the last one. So all I got to do, if my bat breaks and I hit a, and, and you know I hit a blooper, I win. So this one over here, he's stuck on the K. Like he wants to strike me out. Frankly, bad. I'm so hopefully <laughs> when I get to face you at some point tonight or tomorrow, whenever it is, hopefully I just get a broken bat single, and I will laugh at it. Here's the payoff pitch. Runner goes. Swinging a high deep drive in the left field. That's way, way up there, and it's into the monster seats. It is a two-run homer. Springer doing in his old teammate. 
seven to five Houston. How frustrating was it not only the home run but giving it up to him? Well, I think the most frustrating part is he don't have the homer period. Um, whoever it was, I mean, it doesn't really matter in that moment. It's, it's giving up the homer to, to give them the lead. So, I mean, that, that's kind of why I was the most frustrated. Break a text message from him or anything? Sure. Nope. Take me back to that draft day. What was it like? Because it wasn't typical. You weren't sitting by a TV waiting no. for a phone call, that's for sure. It was a crazy draft day. Never forget it. Um, didn't have a phone, didn't have an iPad, didn't have anything. We were playing in a winner-take-all game against Clemson in a regional. Uh, so I really had no idea what was going on. Our parents were up in the stands, and they had phones and iPads and all that stuff. But truthfully, I wasn't even paying attention to the draft. I mean, we had a ball game to win to go to the, to go to the Super Regionals. I was in the dugout, spikes up, ready to go. About halfway through the game, they told me that Springer was taking 11, so I went and I told him. And he was like, all right, that's cool. I don't really care right now. So I was in the field when it happened. I came in, I was leading off the inning, and I come in and he came up to me, gave me a hug, and he said, hey, you know, congratulations, you just got picked, whatever. And I was like, all right, cool, but I gotta go hit. So well, I'm I sitting there the I whole time. I think it'd take it off your mind a little bit. <laughs> you know, we, we were locked in, I mean, we were, you know? Um, and then he came down and told me that I got drafted at 19 to the Red Sox. After you had a chance to take a step back and look at the opportunity, what was going through your mind at that minute? It was insane. Um, I don't think I really had the opportunity until, until we were done playing ball um, at school. But when you sit back and, and I looked at it, I was like, you know, I have the opportunity to go play professional baseball with a team that was as prestigious as the Boston Red Sox. And honestly, I, I, was, I was incredibly grateful and couldn't have been more excited. How much pride do you now take in being the first pick of that now legendary 2011 Red Sox class yeah. that also had guys like Mookie, Blake, JBJ, but you're the first guy taken of those guys. I know. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it's a testament to, to what the Red Sox said. I mean, that, that draft, draft was phenomenal. I mean, you have maybe the best player on the planet coming out of that draft, and uh, it was, it's something that's, that's definitely really cool to be a part of. Barnes joined the Salem Red Sox in 2012, starting 20 games but would gradually adapt to a new role as he advanced through the Sox farm system. You were a starter at UConn, yep. but in your professional career, you transitioned to the reliever role. What was the most difficult part about making that move? It is very different than starting. Um, I was fortunate that I had, you know, Craig Breslow was a guy who was down there, and, and I had known him for a little while, being a Connecticut guy, that he really helped me make that transition. Swing and a miss. Breslow strikes out the side. How do I find a routine? How do I attack guys? You know, when I first came up, it was like, all right, well, I got a guy 2-0 heater. Just missed outside, 93. But more times than not, when you're a reliever, it's your nasty stuff from the beginning. You're only going probably one inning, maybe, maybe two. Um, so it, it was a totally different aspect as opposed to having to try and get through a lineup three different times. Kermal, see you later. The hardest part for me was, I feel like I made the transition to be a reliever in the big leagues. So I had to not only learn how to get the best players in the planet out, but I had to learn how to become a reliever. I mean, it probably took me a year to a year and a half to really figure out how to do it. Uh, and it wasn't until, you know, probably the beginning of 17, end of 16, when I really was like, okay, I, I feel like I got a pretty good idea of, of how to do this now. Here is strikeout number one for Barnes. 
being a young guy at that point, making your major league debut coming up, you had veterans like Andrew Miller, Craig Breslow, as you mentioned, John Lester in that clubhouse. How did you find your place among that group? When I first got up there, I just, I kept my mouth shut. Honestly, went about my business. If the veteran guys were like, we need you to do something, done. The best way you can do is, just, is you follow the veteran guys. That's what you do. You kind of keep your head down, go about your business, and, and that was it. Um, they were great. I mean, they, they really were. They, they helped me kind of find my way. I was lucky that I had Workman and Renato were up there as well. And I've known them for years and years. So they really kind of helped make that transition a little easier. How long did that transition take for you, learning to be a professional, learning to be a major leaguer? I, w I was lucky in the sense that once we had kind of transitioned, we had signed Porras and DP and, and Sale. And over the last couple of years, um, I mean, Rick Purcello is one of the proest pros you'll ever meet in your life. Um, just watch the way that he goes about his work. That's the best way to do it is, is watch how the veterans do what they do. And that's how you should do it. And he drills it in there at 95 to strike him out. After pitching in 70 games as a reliever for the Red Sox in 2017, Barnes was left off the playoff roster, facing his first significant bit of big league adversity. I was definitely frustrated not to be on the playoff roster in 17. But at the same time, I know that John and Dave and Carl and, and the people who had made decisions put what they thought was the best team on the field at that time, and I had to respect that. Even if I didn't like it, I had to respect it, and it's things, and it's something that you don't forget, but it's something that it makes you work that much harder to, to make sure that, that doesn't happen again. Sounds like that certainly drove you to have the success you did in 2018, to have that point where you guys reached the pinnacle, capturing the fall classic. What was the most special moment about that? It's unbelievable, I mean, it's, it's what you dream of, right? I mean, first you want to be a big leaguer, and then you want to win a World Series, and, and when, you, when you get to the top, you, you have this idea of what it's like to win a World Series, and when you're fortunate enough to actually accomplish that goal, it's, it surpasses every expectation you ever had. I mean, it's, it was unbelievable. You, you really can't explain what it feels like. You really can't. So you had an eventful offseason, professional accolade, but personally, you got married as yeah. well. How are you enjoying married life so far? <laughs> it's awesome. Um, it really was. We had a phenomenal wedding. We got married in Florida. Um, it was amazing. We did Jamaica for our honeymoon. And your wife's a doctor. She is. She's a doctor in physical therapy. So she's the breadwinner then. She is. <laughs> oh, she's, so, she's very smart. Very, very smart. So she, you know, she went to school for a long time to get to get her degree and, and she truly enjoys what she's doing so she wants to to help people out and, and you know she's working up at a, up at a local clinic up there. I guess lastly then from you Matt you have goals you have aspirations for yourself but when you think about what you hope to accomplish in your career what does that look like at the end? I want to win as many championships as possible I want to play 10 years in the big leagues I think those are those are if you can if you can do those everything else kind of takes care of itself. There's one quote that I was told, I think it was by my coach at UConn. He said, at the end of the day, everybody's going to know what your numbers are. When I'm done playing, you can go look up my numbers. Um, you can go look up anybody's numbers. But 
the number one thing that anybody ever asked was, was he a good teammate? How is he as a guy? Is he a good guy? And that's really all that anybody ever cares about. Is he a good person? You know, the numbers speak for themselves and, and things like that. When we, when we get somebody traded or we sign somebody, first thing you say, I, I know what kind of player he is, but how is he as a guy? Is he a good dude? And I think I want people to recognize me as being a good teammate or, or being a good guy. My Story is part of the Nesson Podcast Network. The home for New England sports.